Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Um, I'm Dorinda Wilson, wife to one, mom to eight, nana to seven, and 25-year veteran homeschooling mom. I'm also the author of The Unhurried Homeschooler, which is a simple, mercifully short book on homeschooling, and Unhurried Grace for a Mom's Heart, which is a devotional written specifically for moms and even more specifically for homeschool moms. Um, I also have a book coming out soon called The 4-Hour School Day. It comes out June 29th. I would encourage you to pre-order it because if you do, you will get a free devotional that I wrote specifically as a companion to go with The 4-Hour School Day. And once the book launches, it will no longer be available because it's available only for pre-orders. You can go to my website, DorindaWilson.com, and order it from there. Also, if you subscribe to my website uh, at DorindaWilson.com, you will be the first to receive all the other exciting announcements. You'll be the first to receive all the other exciting announcements and incentives and bonuses um, for this book and, uh, and just ongoing encouragement. I would love to have you there as part of that community. So I have been going through some talks that I wrote for a one-day women's event a while back. And it sort of was birthed out of a question that I asked all of you, what were your biggest, what are your biggest struggles um, with all that's gone on over the last, you know, a little over a year? What are your biggest struggles? And you, the top two you shared were uncertainty and loneliness. And so um, I'm a, I am talking about that in these talks. Um, we are covering finding hope in the midst of uncertainty uh, first, and then we'll talk about loneliness. But we are on the last part of this talk. Uh, the two previous Unhurried Grace uh, podcasts have the first two parts. So if you haven't listened to those yet, I would encourage you to go listen uh, because it'll kind of help you know help you know the flow of the talk a little bit better. But in the last episode, I had read a poem called Wait. I had talked about uh, a time in my life when I was waiting on God. Um, It was definitely a time of crisis for us. And um, the last thing I did was read through that poem. Um, That was such a blessing to me and has always been a blessing to me over the years since then. But when we talk about waiting on God... Um, we have to remember that we wait on him because he is enough. That's why waiting on him is never a waste of time. You know, the world is in a hurry, constantly in a hurry, rushing, rushing, rushing. And the enemy loves to drive us. I remember my friend Kathy said once, you know, um, it's God doesn't drive us. He leads us. And if you know anything about sheep, you will know that they cannot be driven. They can only be led. They scatter when they're driven. And we're the same way. And God knows that. He is a gentle, loving shepherd that leads us. He doesn't drive us. So waiting on him and slowing down is safe because he is the good shepherd and he is enough. And hurry and being driven, um, I would say you can undoubtedly assume that they are uh, those are from the those are from the enemy that is the world and the enemy and our flesh that is not god god does not drive us so we wait on him because he is enough we haven't really been taught to wait we live in a culture that demands instant gratification 
this has permeated the church as well. So even as believers, we often resort to self-sufficiency. Instead of recognizing that our dependence on self instead of Christ is the problem, we are told that we're simply under-resourced and we need this program or that online course or that book when the reality is that we need him. Now, can I just say there are some great books out there and I have found him in some of those books, so I'm not discounting any of these things, but we need him first and foremost. We need to ask the Lord what he has for us instead of just assuming that this course or this book are something that we should be reading or spending our time on. We need to seek the Lord first. Jeremiah was a man familiar with suffering. God's people were under God's discipline and judgment because of their lack of faith and worship of anything and anyone other than God. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, sounds like what we've seen happening in the church over the last decades, right? But Jeremiah wrote Lamentations during a time when hope for God's people was nearly dead. The future felt uncertain, even hopeless. This book allows us a point of entry into those experiences to help us face the darkest aspects of our own human experience because we all have those dark places, don't we? God is so faithful to give us his word. Um, Jeremiah was waiting on God and he did what many of the authors of the Psalms did. He poured out his raw emotions to the Lord. Now, clearly, if God's word includes examples of vulnerability and prayer, we can be assured that he wants us to do the same. As we pour out our hearts and seek him, it's here that we find hope in God's unchanging faithfulness, love, kindness, and goodness. And you'll notice as we read through this that Jeremiah pours out his raw emotions. He talks about how he feels, but then he applies the truth, the truth of who God is to those prayers and to those raw emotions. It's a very important point. Lamentations 3 verses 13 to 26 say this, He shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I have forgotten what prosperity is. I cry out my splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Notice he is calling us to the opposite of self-sufficiency, utter dependency and searching for him. Doesn't that just fly in the face of what the culture tells us? Culture tells us we need to be self-sufficient. We should be self-sufficient. We shouldn't be dependent on anybody else. 
And God is saying the opposite. He's calling us to the opposite of self-sufficiency, utter dependency and searching for him. This is where freedom is. This is where freedom is. This is where God brings redemption. This is where we are transformed and we are changed. We are not conformed to the world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what causes Jeremiah to hope? Well, here's what he says. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. So this is what causes him to hope. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. So that truth is what grounds him and helps him find hope. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. We put our hope in him because he is enough. In verse 26, we see that aspect of waiting. God says it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Do you hear that? That's polar opposite of what the world says. The world says it's bad. God says it's good. So therefore, we're going to obey God. You know, there's a lot of fear flying around right now, and a lot of it is fear of man versus fear of God. Those are our biggest temptations as believers, to fear man more than we fear God. But we choose to resolutely walk in obedience to God. To fear him first is to walk in obedience to him when what he tells us to do is the opposite of what the world tells us to do. So God says it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Only when we are confident in who God is Can we wait quietly for him to grant salvation or save save us? Our trust in him is revealed in our willingness to wait quietly for him. Sometimes God rescues us from our situation, but whether or not God changes our situation now or in the future isn't nearly as important as our need to respond in faith to whatever God has clearly placed in front of us by acting on the revealed will and character of God. God shows us these throughout scripture, but I want to share two main overarching characteristics of God that he has brought me back to over and over again through grief, loss, uncertainty, and loneliness. They are what have given me hope to anchor my soul in a firm place to set my feet. When it feels as if nothing is certain, these are the two things that I go back to that I know are certain. Again, there are things we don't know, but what do we know? We know that God is sovereign and that God is good. Now, if asked if God was sovereign or all-powerful, most of us would say, well, yes, of course, I have always believed in the idea that God was sovereign, but until I dug more deeply into what this actually meant, it was powerless to ground me in the midst of uncertainty and any other trials I faced. One of the best little books I ever read was called Waiting on God by Andrew Murray. It's a short little book, and I just took my time going through it, and it really instills the value um, and the biblical reasoning for waiting on God. I would encourage you to read that little book. God's sovereignty is one of the most important principles in the Christian faith, but it is also the most hotly debated because um, it's always this fine 
line that we're walking between God's sovereignty, believing in God's sovereignty, and fulfilling our responsibility as as human beings um, and as mankind. We do have responsibility. And where that line is seems to be something that's hotly debated. And this, this topic is far too vast to try and cover it today. So I want to encourage you to study this for yourself. One of the best reads, best reads or best books I ever read uh, was by A.W. Pink called The Sovereignty of God. And I think R.C. Sproul also has one on God's sovereignty. Those are not easy reads, but they are worthwhile. And even if you go through the book of Isaiah, you will find very, very clear, clear um messages of just how sovereign God really is. Um, Isaiah 40 is a wonderful one. But right now, I want to share with you just a few of the many passages that give us a clear picture of his sovereignty. So I'm just going to throw some little samples out there for you. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all the deeps. Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Isaiah 46, 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been then done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Daniel 4, verse 38, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand. No one. And no one can say to him, what have you done? Romans 9 verses 19 to 21, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Luke 1 verses, verse 37 says, For nothing will be impossible with God. Job 42 two says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And finally, Romans 8, 28 to 30. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Because God is all-powerful, he is enough. I've said this over and over again. It's crucial to know that God is sovereign. But if we don't believe he is good as well, we are sunk, right? Who wants a God that's powerful but not good? If that's the case, we have no hope. So the enemy works overtime trying to convince us that God is not good, right? He knows the power of fully trusting in the power of God and the goodness of God. 
Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. This is where we see it happen the first time. And I love looking back at the Garden of Eden because it really shows us what will we as human beings, as mankind, struggle with? What will be the temptations that the enemy will try to pull over on us? They're going to be the same or rooted in the same thing that he did back in the garden. So the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. I can almost hear him hissing this, right? God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Did you catch that? Satan was casting a huge shadow of doubt in Eve's mind that God was, in fact, good, that he actually had Eve's best interest in mind, and he does the same thing today. If he can convince us that God is not good, he can hijack our trust in him. And where does our hope come from? It comes from our trust in God. Do you see how that works? So if he hijacks our trust in him by convincing us that God isn't good, then he hijacks our hope. We lose hope when we stop trusting in God and the fact that he's good. So those two principles, God is sovereign and he is good, are where God has brought me back over and over and over again. And in the times of uncertainty and grief and loss and trials and temptations, I love to look at it like this. My husband is a jewelry designer and he says that the gems that are the brightest, the diamonds and the gemstones, the precious stones that are most brilliant are the ones who have many facets. And so I picture um, taking the principles that those basic principles, like I just mentioned, and applying them in a certain season of life, it makes one facet. And then we go into another season or another trial or another situation or scenario, and we have to apply it again. And that's another facet. So God is is cutting all these beautiful facets um, in the story of our life and, and in our in our um, you know in in our spirits and in our hearts before Him. And so, um, the brightest gems have many facets. So we take these principles and we apply them in all these different situations in our lives. And you know, guys, when it comes to the future, God is already there. He is sovereignly weaving all the details together. We can trust him. He is enough. When it comes to the present, God is good. He has blessings for us today, right now, in this moment, because his new, his mercies are new every morning. So it is safe to engage in the moment. Look into the eyes of your children and your husband and the people that you come into contact with and be present because his mercies are new every morning. They never run out. They are fresh for each day for that day's challenges. He is enough. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful reminder of who you are. Thank you for Lamentations, for Jeremiah sharing his raw, 
real emotions, but then applying the truth of who you are to those painful places. God, help us to do that. Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need your help to take the truths that you've shown us today and apply them to our lives, God. We thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. 